Welcome to the 451st episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thanks for listening. Well, it's been about 10 days since the last podcast because I finally put a 50K in the books. Michael and I traveled to Austin, Texas, actually a little bit northwest, to run the Austin Rattler Run 50K. And it was put on by the Leadville Race Series. And one of the reasons that we chose this race is because winning your age group would get you a coin into the Leadville 100 uh, trail race in Colorado in August. And that's the one I have talked about and panicked about over the last last several months, or I guess probably last couple of years since we got hooked on Leadville or Leadville found us. But this is a qualifying race. Um, we were going to do a swim run uh, in Austin, but the river is down and timing was such that this race made a little bit more sense. So didn't have to swim, just had to run 30 miles, uh, 31 miles or so. Um, actually, it was more like 30 miles because the loops were just 10 mile loops. It was at a ranch called the Reveille Peak Ranch, which is a privately owned ranch that they rent out for Spartan-like races, um, corporate retreats, team building adventures. There is, um, as I'll talk a little bit about, um, a shooting range there. Um, but this race was running and mountain bike racing. So, and it was more of a mountain bike race than, than the runners. There was more mountain bike racers. There were 281 mountain bike racers uh, racing the 60-mile loop, 60 mile, uh, 60 mountain bike racers racing a 40-mile loop or a 40-mile course, uh, but only, uh, and then 73 mountain bikers that raced a 20-mile loop, and there were 242 runners that raced a 50K, 30 that raced a 20-mile, and 86 that raced a 10-mile. So in total, there were 414 mountain bikers and 358 runners and this is important because this um, ranch was I think 1300 acres and we were all on the course at the same time so they did a really good job at um, the at the beginning and at the end the bikers and runners shared a same jeep road for uh, probably not even a half a mile and then the runners kind of looped inside the uh, perimeter and zigzagged and did some, you know, zigzagging inside the perimeter where the bikes, uh, the mountain bikers did the outside and would go around the zigzaggy areas. So you could see the bikers once in a while with a 50k started first and then a half hour later the bike bikers went off in waves and then they did the 20 mile runners and the 10 mile runners. So it was spaced out, um, but it was also um, such that once everybody was on the course, you, you could see the bikers and hear them zoom by um, on the other side of, a, you know, basically a tape, so to speak. So, I mean, it was very well done as far as being able to, you know, get all those people on the, on the course at the same time. The other thing that was different on this race from our previous races is this was 
Uh, the only aid station was at the beginning of the race. So you would go through a loop and come to an aid station. So you came past the aid station twice, started out by the aid station, and it was predominantly self-supported. Um, so we had uh, made our own drop. We had a drop bag, and there was a communal area for people to put their drop bags, and that's basically where you put your gear. Um, and we made um, Ziplocs with each of the loops in that. So you come by, go to your gear bag, pull out um, the Ziploc for that particular loop, refill your vest, um, go to the aid station and get water. We didn't get anything else for the most part at the other at the aid station, um, and then go on your merry way. And so you had 10 miles while you're out there. You had to make sure you had enough of what you needed, um, and that doesn't always work out accordingly, as I'll talk about here in a little bit. This was also sort of my get back on the horse race. So when my mom passed, we obviously did not do the um, 100K race, and so this was the first race back. So I hadn't done a whole lot of long runs in between that time, obviously. And so this was, um, you know, kind of get back at it. The excitement signing up for the race was that it was a Leadville qualifier, but I got to tell you, it was pretty much, um, let's just go ahead and do this race and get on with it, so to speak. Um, I never thought about not racing. Um, I never thought about not finishing. Um, and I certainly uh, wanted to kind of see where I was in my training for, you know, the lead up and the law and all that other kind of stuff. But uh, didn't have much aspirations, and I didn't have a whole lot of motivation, you might say. The biggest motivator that I was going to get back to Texas to see Addie and Caleb, so um, that was that was the probably bigger motivator. If somebody said, you don't have to run the race, you can just go to Houston and cancel it out, I might have done that, but um, deep down I knew that I needed to do the race. It's kind of interesting. I grew up as a golfer, probably said this on the podcast, and by the way, uh, we're at 998,000 downloads, so you may be the one millionth downloader. Congratulations if you are. Um, but I grew up as a golfer, and I golfed with my dad, and then I, uh, then as a family, we went on uh, trips. My mom didn't take up golfing until her late 40s. So we would do a lot of family vacations centered around golfing. And once I had Addie and I moved to Florida, um, things, you know, being how they are, starting in practice and a business, I started running uh, because you could run quick. And then the marathons uh, kind of started coming in, and I never picked up a golf club when I ran to, when I, after I moved to Florida for the most part. And it was kind of funny because I always wanted to move to Florida so I could golf a lot, uh, and I never did. And I never have and never look back and don't really miss it at all. But my mom would always kind of in the background say, you know, kind of, kind of wish that I would take it up or had hopes that I would take it back up again later on in life. Um, but I never really had that desire and completely lost it, um, you might say. But she understood that running became a, a, a huge stress reliever for me. Um, running is a place I can clear my head. Running is a place where I have ideas for the podcast. I have ideas for my practice. Um, it clears my head. It, makes, it helps me deal with all kinds of uh, different things that are going on in my head. So it's, it's been a huge part of my life. And um, 
I hope that it always will be. I am a huge advocate of being outside. Uh, I think that outside cures a lot of things that uh, inside never would. So uh, I was glad to get out and have the opportunity to do this 50K. I've stated before that you know running has a lot to do with life, and ultra running certainly has a lot to do with life. Uh, you have to take it one step at a time, one foot in front of the other, uh, one section of the course at a time. And um, in this stage of my life, that's exactly uh, what I needed, and I, I kind of look forward to it. So I wanted to qualify for the Leadville 100 if I could, but the reality of it is this was uh, probably more of a therapy run for me than anything else. So we took off uh, on the, uh, the, the 50K course, and it uh, started out kind of on a red dog uh, road, red dirt road, so to speak, and then veered off into trails. And there was a little bit of everything. Um, it, was, it was a great training run. It had some, um, you know, mini Leadville-type uh, nuances such as, you know, running on curves, down rocks, some routes. There were open areas where you ran on the Jeep uh, road. There were open areas where you kind of ran in a field that had been um, kind of um, scraped down. So there were some routes and grass. You ran along a fence line. Like I said, you ran by the mountain bike people. We ran by some cows. Um, you ran down on a, at a limestone bend, uh, like the creek bed, um, probably at one point was uh, a little lake, but you ran along the rocks in several locations, big old rocks that you kind of hop from rock to rock, um, which did slow you down, um, and then up some loose rock, and um, you know, in now these curvy sections, which also can kind of kind of slow slow you down. A lot of it was actually exposed, and it did get warm pretty quick. It started out in the 50s, I think it got into the low 80s. Um, some of it was open but tree covered a little bit. Some of it was in the trees, probably less covered than not. So there was a bit of exposure. Um, but, you know, nothing like Florida as far as heat goes. And it was kind of funny. Um, again, you'd think I'd learn, but um, I, I never seemed to. Um, you know, it used to be when I was running marathons, you know, you run for a goal time, and that seemed to backfire. And in ultras, for the most part, I don't run for a goal time. I just try to run a good race. But this time, you know, with the Leadville qualifier, I got in my head I was going to run for a time, which was probably a mistake because it went out a little harder than I should have. My heart rate got a little higher than it should have early on in the first loop. I was taking in the electrolyte solution, uh, Gnarly, which is a sugar and electrolyte drink mix. I had a lemonade one, and a I mean limeade one, and a cherry Coke flavored one. And I had some goo. So the idea was two goos, a bar, and the drink mix would be calories and water in a, in a vest, and a hydration uh, bladder that I carried in a vest. And so I didn't want to have a lot of water to carry in, you know, the heaviness, so did about uh, probably a third full, fourth, uh, maybe a half full of water in the bladder. And I didn't, I drank some water, but I was drinking more of the electrolyte solution. So again, I went out a little fast, heart rate got a little high, burning a little bit more fuel than I thought I did, and um, started to actually feel the effects of running in my quads way earlier than I would have liked to. Uh, so about mile eight or nine, 
um, the brakes started to come on and my legs were starting to get a little achy and it's like, oh, this is a little bit early for this. And I, you know, I kind of think I got a little behind on my calories because if your heart rate's up, you're burning more sugar than you are fat. And so my heart rate was up and I was burning through calories. The other thing I wasn't doing was taking in enough water. Um, so I tried to up the calories a little bit and we came around mile 10 and I got my bag, my Ziploc bag full of my, um, two gels, a bar, and the gnarly, and filled my gnarly bottles up uh, with water at the aid station, but I didn't fill the bladder up at the aid station. And I, it was because I forgot. And I'm trying to get through the aid station quickly. And that came back to bite me. Uh, at about halfway through the second loop, I ran out of water. And so now I'm thinking, you know, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. I'm tired of drinking this sweet, concentrated stuff. Um, and it was getting a little nauseating. The heat was going up and just wasn't feeling it, um, but was plugging along. Never did I think I wasn't going to make it. Never, you know, um, you know, kind of came to terms with, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's supposed to hurt. You know, we're doing a long race, but it's not hurting that bad. And frankly, I don't really care uh, that it is hurting because that's just what I'm here for. And, um, you know, worked my way through the second loop and was very glad to get to the uh, back to the start line to do the third loops. And at that point, I grabbed, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my um, drop bag. I grabbed that, and when I went to the aid station, I filled my bladder up halfway again because I got a full Coke from the aid station. So I had 12 ounces of Coca-Cola, two 14-ounce um, bottles, and then my bladder half full. So I actually walked in the beginning of that third loop trying to eat that peanut butter and jelly sandwich and drink a Coke. Um, and the Coke, again, I've said it before, it's like rocket fuel for me. It really perks me up. Uh, and it's the only time I ever drink a Coke is during an ultra. And it's the only time I ever eat peanut butters during an ultra. But the peanut butter was too thick on the bread and every my mouth was too dry and it was kind of sticking, you know, and it was just hard to get down as well. So um, I ate about half of that sandwich and about three-fourths of the Coca-Cola, put the rest of the, put the Coke can in my, my vest and carried it for the rest of the course and uh, carried the rest of that peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the rest of the course and just kind of did one foot in front of the other and ran out of water again. Um, probably at about, uh, I had about three or four miles to go this time. I had more than I had the last time, but I had three or four miles where I had to suck it up and drink my gnarly concentrated mix as my uh, fluid. So I was a little nauseated, you know, with just kind of all that concentrate and the heat um, and really wanted something more savory, which I wish I would have had, but, you know, I didn't. So, you know, note to self, plan accordingly. Michael and I split up about uh, mile 17. So I was, um, you know, happened to watch the trail for myself, be a big girl, and so I, I saw a couple guys up in front of me, and it was kind of reassuring that there was a couple guys and a couple girls in front of me, so I kind of was staying on course, because it was, like I said, um, a little bit zigzaggy, and I didn't want to get off course, and a few people did, um, but I was kind of following the two guys and the two girls, and I gradually caught them and passed the guys, and there was one girl and I that kept zigzagging back and forth, and, uh, you know, near the end, um, you know, I'm kind of looking around, and I, I hadn't seen anybody my age really all day, or what I assumed was my age, you know, no other mom-mom appearing people running. 
um, that I could see um, that looked at, looked as old as I was. So that was kind of good. I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not having the time that I want, but I don't, uh, it doesn't seem like there's too many people out here my age. In fact, out of the 252 uh, people that got to the start line, 45 were women, so there weren't that many women. Um, probably the biggest age group category was in the 40s type range. Um, so, you know, as I was coming in, um, the girl that was kind of zigzagging with me, uh, she passed me, and I, I kind of giggled to myself. I, I was um, it's like, well, there's no real, real reason to go ahead and chase her because she's a lot younger than me, so, you know, she's not going to win my age group. So, you know, that's, this probably wasn't a really good way to look at things. Um, Michael and I have had this discussion before. You know, I, I'm satisfied with, you know, doing good for my age. He looks more at the total race. Um, I guess I should look more at, um, you know, the overall women's standing uh, a little bit or, or, you know, go for it or, you know, try to punch it a little bit more at the end. But, um, you know, that's, that's a takeaway that I, I need to have, I guess. But nevertheless, um, I won my age group. And uh, so that really was all that mattered at the end of the day. I finished um, 38th overall or in the women, 38 uh, women, and, se and it, my time was uh, 7 hours and 29 minutes. So the pace started out okay at 12.22 per minute mile, dropped down to 13.31, and averaged 14.27 uh, for the full distance. So it uh, got pretty slow at the, at the overall at the end to bring my total time down. But, um, you know, the lesson learned was went out a little too fast, got my heart rate up, uh, didn't have the water. The other thing that slows you down, I mean, it sounds ridiculously slow uh, compared to road racing, but what happens when you're on a trail is, again, it's not a straight line like you are on a road race for the most part. You're going around little hairpin turns. You're going up and down rocks, big rocks, little rocks, slows you down, downhill, uphill, um, loose footing, and so forth. So, you, you know, and even just being on softer surface, you don't have the push-off that you do on a road. So, you, you know, you automatically slow down some um, or a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, got the job done and earned a coin to the Leadville 100-mile trail race that will be August 18 of 2024. So get ready. I really never switched it into high gear at the end, so I finished the race with um, some stuff in the tank. Whether that's good or not, uh, it is what it is uh, because we're back training because we have the 100-mile race in January uh, 11th, which is not, not that far away. So I'm just kind of glad that I didn't leave everything out there. Um, on the other hand, you know, when I looked at the 50 age group, uh, 50 to 59, there were um, several people that would have cleaned my clock. Um, I think seven out of the eight people in the 50s groups would have cleaned my clock at the pace that I ran. Uh, luckily for me, they're in their early 50s, so they've got some aging to do before they get into my age group, at least for that race. But nevertheless, uh, I need to work on developing a third gear or high gear in some of these races. I have a feeling it might be going to happen here in the near future. So I learned you need more water in your bladder for, uh, in your vest bladder, not your bladder bladder, but your vest bladder if you're going to do a 10-mile run. 
Um, so that was a mistake that I, I needed to have more water and water left over as opposed to not enough water. Um, need to bump my calories if I'm going to bump my heart rate up, that's for sure. And, you know, perhaps uh, take, you know, not have a time goal so much uh, for some of these races as much as a performance goal and play it by end. I think that things worked out better for me when I did the Leadville race because I ran scared and I ran aid station to aid station on time that I needed to be as opposed to running for a specific time. Um, but, um, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that needs to be worked out. The beauty of these races is they're all unique, they're all different, they're all challenging. You spend a lot of time looking where to go, looking for the flags to not make the wrong turn, uh, managing hydration and nutrition, because when you're looking at the flags, you forget to eat and drink. Um, knowing when you can eat and drink, if you're going down some technical course, it's hard to get a gel out or eat. Um, so uh, all of this is a learning experience that, that we're still learning. Um, and the other thing is uh, what um, a very infamous uh, ultra runner, uh, Courtney DeWalter, talks about is the pain cave. And realizing that an ultra distance, it hurts for everybody. It's going to hurt. Um, there's achiness. There's discomfort. Uh, things don't go right. You have to troubleshoot along the way, um, which is a tremendous amount like life um, that... Um, you know, there are rocky patches that we, we all have to get through, and one step at a time, one section at a time, is, is basically the best way to, to get through it. Um, you know, being out there in the middle of nowhere on this um, ranch, uh, you know, again, it was, um, you know, meditative, so to speak, um, uh, pushing through. Sometimes you feel like you're in a little bit of a slow motion, um, in, in the process after you going through a grief, uh, after losing someone. And so the ultra marathon was great. It slowed things down one step at a time and, and let me push through some of the clouds back into the sunshine. So overall it was a bit of a confidence booster that, uh, could kind of push through, um, some difficult times. And even though it hurts, it's going to be okay in the long run. The funny thing that happened during the uh, ultra marathon is that shooting range um, that I talked about earlier. Uh, when the sun came up, all of a sudden the gunshots started to become very clear and very frequent. And as an ex-hunter and um, range shooter, I could recognize different kinds of guns being fired. Um, rifles, shotguns, and so forth. And um, it pretty much, there was shooting the whole time we were out there for, you know, five, six hours, there was shooting going on. And when you got closer to the range, the noises got louder. And when you got further away, it started to, to kind of dissipate a little bit, but there were casings and shells all over the place. And, you know, it was kind of the incentive to keep going for, uh, you know, it's like, well, I hope they know where they're shooting and I hope there's not much in the way of stray gunfire going on here. So if I was ever going to run while being shot at, that was hopefully as close as I'll ever get to uh, being near gunfire while I'm running a race. I said it earlier that I didn't really have any doubts that I wasn't going to be able to finish the 50k um, and I'm pretty confident of a 50 miler, uh, one foot in front of the other, but I don't have any confidence when it comes to 
um, the future of the next couple of races being 100-mile races. And so it is truly going to be new territory and one step at a time. And, um, you know, the preparation starts now uh, and the training starts now, and I can't put it off. Um, I started planning on the airplane on the way back to Florida um, our training schedule for the 100 miler that's coming up in January and then uh, after that um, preparing for the mountains that we have to face in Leadville. To say that it'll be a challenge is a um, uh, gross misunderrepresentation. Um, there's not that many Floridians that care to go to altitude to run an ultra marathon. So at a disadvantage on that aspect of things, um, age uh, of people completing the Leadville 100-mile trail race is also um, sparse to say. So I'm getting into the age uh, category where people elect not to run anymore. Uh, and of course, put uh, being a woman on top of all those three, even less women attempt the Leadville um, at my age, so I think there were one or two finishers um, last year in Leadville, and probably not that many more, if any, on the on the long haul 100. So it's a big undertaking um, to have to take uh, take on, but uh, I'm going to give it my best shot, and I'm going to keep training, and you know I'll, that'll be part of the podcast uh, until you'll have to be bored with that until next year that I'll update you on how things are going on this ultimate training. Um, for the goal race, the A race, next August of 2024. I believe my advantage, however, is my nutrition um, because I believe plant-based nutrition is going to allow for good recovery and um, take me where I'm going for, for that part of the race. I don't think that you can age um, as easily not eating a plant-based diet. Uh, the inflammation associated with a standard American diet is certainly there. So I think that uh, I have as an, an advantage. Um, also, I believe that um, I think I can figure out what I need to do for my nutrition. It's as, you know, as if whether I can pay attention to it while I'm running probably be the biggest factor. So I have started making notes on plant-based foods, uh, both sweet and savory, that I might like that might work. And so we're going to have to test those. The other problem is that running in Florida in the heat, um, sometimes the savory things just aren't so good to look at, but I'm going to have to overcome that. Um, the good advantage of the heat, though, is that it is uh, somewhat of an altitude training because of the water loss that you associate with um, running in high humidity. So we'll see how it goes from there, and, um, you know, can't wait to get started. My goal would be to get more plant-based ultra runners out on the course and especially more plant-based ultra runners over 50 out on the course. Um, so, you know, I, uh, if, you, if you know somebody that runs ultra, share this podcast with them so they can be plant-based uh, and have a better chance at running. If you know somebody that's um, plant-based, then... Uh, you know, encourage them to start running or, you know, uh, increase their distance because um, I do think trail running is, is a whole lot of fun um, and uh, it's just nice to be, there's just so much positivity and um, good energy out there on the course that, um, you know, 
you're too old not to go on the trails. If you'd like to learn more about our practice and, and what we're up to, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, uh, and you can find out what we do in our practice. We have uh, three different levels of membership, and um, one's dietitian, one is dietitian in counseling by myself, and one is a full uh, medical membership. Um, but we have a giant website over there uh, for members only, um, and there's, there's a lot on the website as well. Um, so we'd love to have you as part of the practice. So if you have some interests, go over to the website. You can always email me at jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. Would love to hear from you. And thanks for downloading the podcast. I hope we're at a million. Share it with your friends. Um, it's been a great ride. For the most part, I try to get a podcast out about every week uh, from the get-go. There's been a few 10-day lapses, but for the most part, I always get that podcast out in less than two weeks. So... Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the loyal listeners. Um, I know a lot of you expressed um, condolences to me about my mom. Um, and, you know, I listen to podcasts too, and you get to feel like you know people over time. That's exactly how we roll in our office and our practice. Uh, we like to get to know you. And so any email that you'd like to send me to say hi, I'd love to get to know you as well. So thanks for listening. See you next time.